Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, welcome to the special edition of Herd Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Uh, over the course of the last few months, we have done a lot of covering of Elon Musk. So now with the news that the Twitter buyout by Elon Musk is not going to go forward, although it's going to be all over court cases and social media for some time to come now, we thought this would be a good time to go back and review how we covered it. We talk a lot about accountability on the show, government accountability, individual accountability. We do accountability for ourselves too. So here's all the things we've been saying about it since the news on this story first started breaking back in April. Us and some of our guests as well. How did we do? What did we get right? What did we get wrong? So we're going to put it out there. In this special edition of Herd Tell, we're going to review how we covered the Elon Musk story. You can also check my timeline on Twitter, at 4 for the fire. Happy to go through there. I don't delete tweets unless there's just something egregiously wrong or whatever. You can tell that by the misspellings I use in there. But we want to do a little bit of review. So instead of just amplifying more noise, we're going to do what our core principle here is. We're going to turn down the noise. We're going to review ourselves how we covered the Elon Musk and Twitter story over the last couple of months. Going to do that with a couple different segments, including some guests, and we hope you enjoy it. Let us know how we did. You got comments, questions, criticisms, whatever. We'd love to hear from you at HerdTellShow at gmail.com. HerdTellShow on the Twitter.com. Reach out any way you want to. Love to hear from you. It's always free to subscribe. iTunes, Spotify, all the podcasting platforms. We're on iHeartRadio. Also, our radio partner, BigTalker.Live. You can get the Facebook feed there. And, of course, on the YouTube channel. We would love to have you. Always free to subscribe. And here's our review of the Elon Musk v. Twitter saga on this special edition of Hurtel. Welcome back to Hurtel. Okay, I don't really want to talk about this, but I have to because fair is fair. And I took a whole lot of flack on social media for it. So let me break this down for you a little bit. Uh, Elon Musk. I have we have discussed him on this program before. We've had guests on in whole segments talking about Elon Musk. He's a complicated guy. When you're a mad genius, the problem is the genius part comes with the mad part, and the mad part comes with the genius part. I don't mean mad as in you know insane. I mean mad as in he's just a special kind of guy. People that function on that level, they're just different. Nothing wrong with that. I've broke it down on this program before, and I've been consistent. I love the SpaceX stuff. Tesla is a subsidized Ponzi scheme. We'll talk about that some other time. Go ahead and get mad. It just is. If you're not getting all that subsidized money from other car companies, it's not a car company. It's a luxury brand. But we'll get into that some other time. I'm not a huge fan of the Tesla stuff. I love the SpaceX stuff. He's doing great work for humanity in that rank. And then how he personally conducts himself. I've got all kinds of questions. Remember when he called the cave rescuer in Thailand a pedo? And he called him that just because they shot down his idea of trying to invent a submarine to get the kids out of the cave. He got mad online and besmirched that man for no good reason. Another, he doesn't have any impulse control. So now everybody's freaking out because he was going to go on the board for Twitter. He's not going to go on the board. He owns 9%. Now he has done a filing to buy Twitter outright. Everybody just calm down. Okay. I understand the numbers are big. He's put in a 40 billion plus dollar offer. 
these these deals, let's be adults here. He doesn't have $40 million laying around. I know some people estimate his worth at $250 billion. That's not the issue. You have to put these deals together. They have to be financed. Somebody, a third party on top of the financing has to verify the financing. These things are very, very complicated. Just because he says he's offering that, there's a hundred steps before that would actually come true. And I want to bring you back to something that happened before. And some for some reason, everybody seems to have forgotten it. In 2018, he said on Twitter that he had secured private funding to take Tesla private, which he says it was true. The SEC, the Security Exchange Commission, disagreed, as did most of the company do. And he got in a whole lot of trouble for it. He got in so much trouble that him and Tesla both had to pay $20 million apiece in the settlement to the SEC. And he had to step down as the chairman of Tesla. This was just in 2018. This wasn't that long ago. So before everybody gets all hot and bothered about Elon Musk buying Twitter and getting into the free speech debate and all that, which I've got into a little bit online with some folks, I see zero evidence that he would be any better for free speech than the current management of Twitter. But he has fans and fans don't want to listen to such things. He has a habit of talking big and not backing it up. He cannot pull $40 billion out of thin air. These kind of deals have to go through. It would have to go through regulatory approval. He would have to do a lot of work to do it. So I would calm down. I would let this breathe. He's not going to buy Twitter in the next 10 minutes. I don't really want him to buy it at all, but that's another matter neither here nor there. Just let this one breathe. It may turn out like the taking Tesla private thing where he's just shooting his mouth off online. I know he did a filing. Anybody can file anything. Calm down. Keep your bearing. Let this one breathe. Elon Musk, the person, the idea, the myth, the living legend, has gotten a lot bigger than Elon Musk, the man who actually interacts with people online and does things to get attention, to drive his businesses. He's very smart. He uses social media to manipulate things like stock prices. Let this thing breathe. See what actually happens on it. You don't need to get on your ramparts over Elon Musk. Just hang in there. Let's see if there's actually any there there to this particular story. More Heard Tell right after this. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Let's start uh, with some media news. Folks have spent all day. Now, I, I spent way too much time on Twitter. I will admit it. I've told you I love my Twitter account. I love the interaction. Uh, that's what got me into writing, got me into doing radio, and got me into doing this program, Hartel. That all started with getting a Twitter account and making friends and doing things like that. So I love Twitter. Uh, Elon Musk has apparently agreed in principle, and Twitter has agreed to it, to sell Twitter to Elon Musk. And everybody has absolutely lost their freaking minds on Twitter. Uh, let's start with some perspective. Twitter is only about 20% of the American population has a Twitter account, and even smaller slice of that is active on Twitter. And we have data. Something like 80-85% of all tweets come from a very, very small percentage of content providers, and then the rest of it is just amplification, people retweeting it, commenting on it, things like this. It's an echo chamber inside of an echo chamber. 
Now, having said all that, we talk about Twitter not being real life. That is true, but Twitter is influential because of the people who are on it, especially media people. Uh, one of the reasons I'm on it, uh, because I interact with those folks. I do this program like this. Uh, the, a lot of the media folks are on Twitter, so it has an outside influence. It's both the headwaters and the <laughs> end tail uh, rapids of the information river that flows through our news media. So Twitter's still important, but people have lost their minds because Elon Musk is trying to buy it. Um, I want to quote our friend Michael Siegel writing in Ordinary-Times.com today. He wrote this, he said, now, right now, Twitter's freaking out over the deal because, well, that's what Twitter does. It freaks out over things, quoting Michael here. But as noted in the New York Times, it will be some time before this deal finally closes, and there are a number of hurdles Musk has to clear before he swaps $45 billion in imaginary Tesla value for $45 billion in imaginary Twitter value. The consensus seems to be that this is great for the right wing and bad for the left wing, reading from Michael Siegel here. The basis of this is, well, I'm not sure what the basis of that belief is. No one knows that Elon Musk's politics are, less of all, what he will do if he takes over Twitter. The panic celebration is a reaction to Twitter's prior policies, which has a bit of a left-wing slant, banning President Trump after the January 6th riot, banning COVID deniers like Alex Berenson, and generally speaking, being more quick to ban racist white right-wing trolls than the moronic left-wing trolls. I myself am agnostic on the prospect of Elon Twitter. Remember, this is Michael Siegel, our good friend, most seen guest on this program. Good, good. Uh, first of all, I'm not sure the deal is going to happen. There are a lot of steps before, before Elon can run naked through the Twitter headquarters. Second, God forbid he does it. Second, I think we will find that many of the policies are in place for a reason, so his ability to change them without exposing himself legally is going to be limited. Third, while he talks a big talk, no one knows what's going to happen to translate into actual corporate policy. I don't think even Elon Musk, having finally caught the car, knows what he's going to do with it. If I were a betting man, as Michael Siegel writing in Ordinary-Times.com, I would be on marginal changes that leave right-wingers disappointed and left-wingers relieved. But ultimately, this is a very inside baseball thing. While Twitter has a lot of power in the media, its reach into the real world is extremely limited. And maybe if people carry out their threats and leave it, they'll realize just how limited that reach is. Michael Siegel writing there. Uh, that's why they don't leave, or if they leave, they don't go for long because they realize they need Twitter to be relevant in their business and or social media pursuits. What do we make of all this? Uh, look, I really didn't want Elon Musk to buy Twitter. I've been pretty open about that. I was skeptical that he could buy it and put together a package to do so. I still slightly am because this has got to go through regulatory approval. So we'll see. Maybe this does go through. If I'm wrong, we say we're wrong. That's what we do here. We just do truth. Uh, we don't lose any points for being wrong. We just say we're wrong, adjust and move forward. So if I'm wrong on this, I'm wrong on it. I wish it wasn't true, but is it going to be that big of a thing? I don't know. Musk has the attention span of usually about 11 minutes. It's part of his genius and his fobbles as a human being. He has these spurts of things where he does stuff. We'll see how long Twitter keeps his attention. The other thing about social media companies we need to understand, we talked about this with the true social media uh, that Donald Trump is hilariously failing at. Social media is a very, very tough platform to run. It's not like running a normal website. Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and places like this have armies of engineers to keep these things running. 
They're highly technical. I know it sounds great for people to say, like, we're going to put out the algorithm open source. Everybody can, folks, unless you can recode, you're not going to understand what that algorithm says. Now they can tell you the parameters of it and things like this. Um, I don't understand it. I really don't. I know there's this fanboy fascination with Elon Musk because of all the various things he does. I love the SpaceX stuff. I don't like the Tesla stuff for reasons we've talked about before. I'm skeptical of it. But folks have absolutely turned him into an avatar over the last couple of days that he's going to fix all their complaints over social media. No, he's not. He wouldn't know how to. And frankly, him tweeting about something and him running a multi-billion dollar company is two very different things. Folks need to calm down with their expectations, especially on the left who are acting like this is the end of free speech ever. Number one, it's still a private company. Number two, we already told you the stats of how small an area Twitter covers. Everybody just calm down. Keep your bearing. This isn't the end of the world. It's not the end of Twitter. It's not the end of free speech for sure. And it's definitely not the end of democracy. Even if you don't like Elon Musk, and I'm suspect of him, this isn't the end of the world. Even if you're a big fan of Elon Musk, he's not going to make it perfect the way you like it. In fact, he's already shown a proclivity to just say whatever's off the top of his head. Chances are he's probably going to say something to upset you later on down the road. So keep your bearing and then make Twitter what you want to make of it because the truth is twitter is what you make of it it's up to you don't blame other people if you're having a bad twitter experience change your timeline change who you follow follow me because you should be anyway more hotel right after this back to herd tell okay let's get into it uh everybody's been talking about it i've been talking about it i don't want to talk about it so i'm going to ask him about it and he's going to talk about it uh rj sure. lehman our friend uh he is the editor-in-chief of the international center for law and economics he's a good twitter buddy for a long time so one of the reasons i do this show i get to talk to my twitter buddies in real life good to meet him and a twitter supper club member in good standing from the wonderful state of florida on the left hand side how are you today sir i'm good how are you fantastic uh, we were kicking this around on Twitter. There's been some developments since then, but let's reset it this way because everybody's talking about Elon Musk and Twitter, and they're all talking about it from the content point of view, the cultural point of view, the social media point of view. Talk to me about the business side of this because I think it's getting glossed over. And really, in the grand scheme of things, that side of it's more important. And all that content stuff folks talking about, none of that happens without the business side of it being in order. So let's start there. Just mm -hmm. what we know now, where do you think the business side of this sits? So what we know is Twitter has been an underperforming stock for a few years. Um, when you compare it to the other major platforms, uh, particularly Facebook, which, which also includes the Facebook subsidiaries like Instagram and uh, WhatsApp, um, Twitter does not generate anywhere near the same revenue. It doesn't have the same kind of user base. It's got a different kind of uh, uh, profile in terms of who its users are and what they get out of the experience. Um, it, the, pri I, the obvious primary difference is Twitter does not have the kind of demographic information about its users that Facebook does. Facebook knows quite a bit about who you are, what you like, what you might want to buy, um, which is valuable information for their, for their advertisers. Uh, Twitter, much less so. You know, it, it does know some things. It knows who you follow, knows who you engage with. 
Um, it doesn't necessarily really know who you are. There's a lot of anonymity on Twitter. Um, and uh, it has not been able in quite a while to convert its service into a really profitable business. So that's, that's why there's a good business case for a takeover for taking it another direction that uh, it's, its original concept um, was a good one and a popular one, but not necessarily a profitable one. Elon Musk um, has a long history of, of uh, controversy on the Twitter platform. Um, and so it was unclear when he first announced that he was taking a stake in the company, what his goal was. He uh, took uh, a nine, he announced on April 1st, many people noted it was April Fool's Day, that he was buying 9% of the company, which is an important uh, uh, threshold because at 10%, there's a lot of reporting requirements that a company having that size stake. So he didn't go over that. Um, and he, uh, it was announced initially that he would be joining the board of directors uh, that uh, ultimately a couple of days later did not happen. Uh, the, the board announced that Elon was no longer interested in joining. Many people speculated that the reason he wasn't interested in joining is as a member of the board of directors, he would have fiduciary duties to look out for the best interests of the company. And so a lot of his behavior talking smack <laughs> about Twitter and what it's like and what it does would be stuff that he would be precluded theoretically from doing and that that might be why he didn't join the board. And so then uh, again, a couple of days later, he made a full offer to buy out all of Twitter, the whole, the whole lock, stock and barrel um, and take the company private. So it would no longer be a, a publicly traded company. Um, initially the board was resistant to doing that. It, uh, it announced just a couple days ago, you know, depending on when people hear this, uh, that they they had considered his offer and uh, would be accepting it. So, what we know is that not a lot about what what Elon wants to do with the business model of Twitter. He has suggested maybe relying less on advertising on and more on a uh, uh, subscriber type uh, service where. You would have incentives to pay for additional services, to pay to get yourself a verified account, um, and that it would be private, uh, and that he would exercise less moderation than Twitter has exercised in the past. But how he, he'll make money with this is not clear at all, um, especially since like this is now going to be on his books. I mean, he and his, his investors, financers are are going to own this whole thing, um, you probably need a business plan because most people don't want to throw away $44 billion <laughs> for uh, an asset that's not going to generate some revenue for you. Now, let's talk about that for just a second, because this is something else that's not getting talked about mm -hmm. at all. This is not a done deal, and it's nope. not even on step two or three of a 100-step process of being a done deal. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about um, a hostile takeover, which is what this is, even though Twitter's agreeing to it, by, by legal definition, it's still a hostile takeover. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is highly regulated. There's a lot of rules to this. There's oversight sure. to this. He has to prove his financing. There has to be a third-party guarantor of this financing. We're a long ways from this deal being done, but everybody's acting like this thing is done. Talk about that process a little sure. bit because, and we'll lead into it a minute ago, Elon Musk recently, 2018, he yeah. said on Twitter of all places, he was going to take 
Tesla private. And that went so well, it bought him a $20 million fine, Tesla a $20 million fine. He turned out he did not have, he still to this day says he was serious, so SEC disagrees. He had to step down as the chairman of Tesla for at least five years. And here's the kicker that brings us to today. The SEC had to approve his tweeting, of all things, on Twitter. Yes. I'm sorry, when I see a movie one time, I want some proof that the sequel is going to be at least better. Am I wrong for thinking that way? Because we're a long way to go on this puppy, but people are acting like it's done. It's it's uh, it's still uncertain. I would I would bet more likely than not at this point, but we'll see where he gets his financing. We know he is he has come forward with it's a $44 billion deal. He's announced he has $25.5 billion in uh, lender financing that still leaves open, you know, almost $20 billion that uh, would come, he says, out of equity financing, which would mean basically Tesla stock or stock in one of his other uh, ventures, but most likely Tesla. He also has SpaceX and the Boring Company um, and a few other smaller ventures uh, that he could pledge that stock. All of which, though, if if he pledges, it means is he loses control in those primary in those primary companies that that he has been at the helm of for quite a while. Um, so Tesla shares immediately after the Twitter announcement started falling because it was, it was unclear what would happen with Tesla. Would they dilute their shareholders by doing more uh, by issuing more stock, and that that's how he would end up financing the Twitter buy? Um, still unclear. The regulatory. Uh, approvals that are are pending, um, it would have to go through antitrust clearance. It's probably not an antitrust concern because Elon Musk and his companies are not currently in the social media business. Um, so uh, if you if uh, if Coca Cola buys Pepsi or uh, McDonald's buys Burger King, that's what's called a horizontal merger. You're you're merging, you're merging with a competitor in the same market, and you're expanding out, that al- almost always triggers serious antitrust concern. This would be more what you call a vertical merger. So in vertical mergers, there's less initial antitrust concern. There can be in some circumstances if you uh, are different parts of the production chain, say if, if General Motors bought out Uniroyal tires. Um, there might be concern that General Motors is going to use that acquisition to uh, try to uh, prevent its competitors, Toyota, from buying Uniroyal tires at the cheap level that General Motors can get it. That's not necessarily a bad thing, though, uh, but it would be something that you would have regulators being concerned about. The only concern a regulator could raise here, and it's it's one that I wouldn't be shocked if it happens because the FTC has gotten very activist under the Biden administration is what the theory of potential competition, that the problem here is Elon Musk might have started a social media company in the future to compete with Twitter. And by buying Twitter, he doesn't start his social media company in the future. And so he's preventing theoretical future competition from happening. Um, which sounds ridiculous, but there are regulators who, who pursue those kinds of ridiculous theories. So if, if the FTC were to step in and, and you know, pose a, a, a theoretical complaint on potential competition, um, I would not be shocked. 
I think it would be ridiculous, but I would not be shocked. Yeah, I don't want them to do that because then I'd have to defend Elon Musk getting Twitter, <laughs> which I don't really want to do, but I would have to in that case because that's absolutely ridiculous talking to R.J. Lehman. Yep. Yep. Um, let, let's let's delve into that for just a second, though. Beside the regulation of it, yeah. um, what's actually going to happen if he acquires this company? Because social media companies are not – I know it's a tech startup and the things and all the buzzwordy stuff – Social media companies are very specific beasts. They need armies upon armies of engineers to function. It yep. is codes and algorithm. I know they're talking about the algorithm going, folks, you can't mm-hmm. read the public code unless they give you, like the, the, the algorithms are so complicated. Yeah. The coding is so complicated. Even if he gets this thing, it's one thing to tweet about it. Yeah. In practicality, is this going to be one of those things, even if he gets control of the company, some engineers are going to sit him down and go, okay, look, Mr. Musk, I know you're this, you know, boy wonder genius, but there's some pretty hard and fast rules and physics involved here when it comes to social media. How much is he actually going to be able to change, even setting aside the profitability thing, which we'll come back to in a minute, just on yeah. a practical level, there's some limits on what you can do here, right? There absolutely is. Twitter, um, the uh, the APIs, which are basically the instructions that you could use uh, to create, you know, say an app that takes advantage of the Twitter platform. You may remember a few years ago, there used to be a lot of those. I mean, the most famous one is TweetDeck, right? Where, where you could use this third-party app to schedule tweets, to filter your, your followers. Um, I'm and, using it right now. Right. So... <laughs> Twitter has has pulled back a bit on what you can do with third-party apps over the years. And theoretically, what Elon is talking about when he says he wants to make the code open source, uh, both, you know, the, the sort of the way he frames it is so that it would improve trust in the company. I mean, what I hear when I hear that is he wants to allow third-party developers to create apps that could, uh, for instance, you know, perform their own moderation, um, which is maybe not a terrible idea. I don't know that the the physics of it will work out, but you know, you could, for instance, uh, if if you want a uh, a Twitter feed that includes a lot of like, you know, scandalous content, you could have that kind of Twitter feed. If you don't, you could use this app to filter out some of that stuff. A lot of questions that are currently going all the way up to the top to the moderation team at Twitter, maybe could be handled by third parties. Um, And so different kinds of users could have different kinds of apps. But anytime you open things up to third parties, the first question is security. Um, The more you open up to to third parties, the more you increase your cyber risks. Um, Twitter has been breached in the past. There was the famous incident just uh, about a year or two ago uh, where a teenager here in Tampa uh, compromised. Uh, the, it was not a, a super advanced uh, sort of exploit. That was something that was done by, you know, finding a person who was on the inside who gave him, you know, access to a master panel. But that was the famous day that the blue checks could not tweet <laughs> because they locked down all verified accounts because they were getting hacked. Um, so that that kind of thing is, is something you would be concerned about uh, if you opened up the platform further. Um, that's why a lot of platforms are more closed. Yeah. Talking to our friend, RJ Lehman. Uh, we're talking Elon Musk. We're talking Twitter. We're talking about 
the machinations thereof. We're going to take a quick break on Hertel. Come right back. Continue to talk about this because we've been talking about it for days on end, and we all just need to talk about it for another 10 minutes or so. We'll do so on Hertel when it comes back right after this. Uh, welcome back to Hertel, talking to our friend R.J. Lehman uh, down there in sunny South Florida, as famous people used to say daily. Uh, let's back up for a second with this merger thing. Mergers are one of those things where it affects a lot of people. I had it happen to me. I lost my job because our company got bought by another. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, they're like, well, we're going to get rid of 360 people. And it doesn't even have anything to do with me. You're just a line number. People hear about mergers, but they don't really understand how it works. Mm -hmm. So let's back up for a second and make sure everybody's got the nomenclature down. When you're talking about Elon Musk, Elon Musk cannot just walk up to a company, Twitter or any other, and go, oh, I'm going to buy you when it's a public company. Talk about that process a little bit, because I think that's where the breakdown on this thing happened. Shareholders have rights. Shareholders have voting responsibilities. Um, It's a complicated thing. Let's work through that nomenclature just a little bit to see if we can get the noise turned down on this thing a little. Sure. So when when he took his uh, 9% stake, that did make him the largest shareholder in Twitter. Um, there were some that were close, you know, in the in the 8% range. And those companies tend to be mutual funds, um, the largest being BlackRock and uh, Vanguard. Um, that's true of almost every major public company is that the largest investors are what are called institutional investors. Those are your mutual funds. Your pension funds, including you know state employee pension funds, tend to be among the largest. Um, your uh, life insurers and other insurance companies—they're um, very, uh, by nature, conservative investors. They buy the whole market. They'll they'll buy a share of every company in the S&P 500, um, and they exercise their voting rights, but in a usually in a pretty predictable and conservative way. They have advisors that will tell them how to vote um, in the annual proxy vote uh, on questions like the CEO's pay. Um, they, they are major factors in whether or not to accept a bid, um, and they entrust the board to make those decisions. Um, a lot of people, and this came up when, when Elon, Elon made his uh, initial bid and the company, announced, the board announced it was going to um, exercise a poison pill. Well, what, what that means here specifically is they would, once Elon had 15% of the company, uh, which would render him under SEC and Delaware law, Delaware is relevant because that's where Twitter is incorporated, uh, would render him a, a interested insider. Um, they could slow his ability to buy the company by up to uh, three years. Um, mostly by granting other shareholders the right to buy more stock at a discounted rate, which would shrink his relative share of the company. Um, so why, why would a board do that? Boards, uh, the cynical take is that boards, boards of directors are only interested in their own power or their insiders, typically the CEO is a member of a board, often also the CEO is serving as the chair of the board. Um, so that, that's the way some people look at uh, corporate boards exercising their authority to uh, defensively fight off a hostile or unsolicited bid for control. Um, 
that it kind of comes with this idea that like a, a company being a shareholder in a company is like being a member of a democracy that uh that analogy only goes so far because it's like being if it were like being a member of a citizen in a democracy you could be a member of 3000 democracies at once you could choose to quit your your citizenship at any time um and you could rejoin a second later just by pushing a button you know that's not really how democracies work in the real world usually if you don't like the way a company is being run the way you exercise that opinion is not to buy it or to vote out the board but it's to sell your shares um and so the law allows delaware law allows the board a lot of power grants the board a lot of power to set its rules um, and those rules often include keeping out uh, troublemakers uh, who might not have the best interest in the company at, at heart. And that was the question is, is Elon Musk one of those troublemakers or is he making a serious bid? There's a good reason to suspect he might be just trying to stir up some stuff and not, not making a serious bid. In the end, uh, well, not at the end, but in the end, it, uh, for this week, at least, it looks like he has made what he thinks is a serious bid and what the board thinks is a serious bid. And this gets to a much bigger issue that we're going to have to cover in depth at another time, but I want to touch on it because we need to acknowledge it. Mm. We've had this long-running political conversation and a legal conversation because we know the Supreme Court dealt with this with Citizens United of, is a corporation people or is a corporation this evil, wicked, you know, monolithic thing that just exists mm -hmm. on paper in places like Delaware that doesn't really exist but only exists on paper? Right. That's a joke. That last part, we love people from Delaware, mostly. I had to go to Dover too many times. I'm bitter. <laughs> but the point is, um, to be serious for a second, this is a larger conversation about government, you know, government, how they see a corporation. Is it people or is it yeah. an entity? You yeah. know, do stakeholders have democratic rights within a company? And then when you have something like, you know, Elon Musk, that's such a big whale. It goes, the whale goes through the net. The old saying goes, that's kind of what's happening here. But if it's not Twitter and it doesn't have all the buzzwords attached to it, these companies have a lot of people involved. Talk about that for just a second, because that's the bigger issue down the road of things like Citizens United, things like voting rights for companies, things like free speech and political speech for companies. Yeah. All that stuff winds up in a ball when you have things, you know, Elon Musk is a wrecking ball that kind of cuts through all that stuff, mm -hmm. but all those issues aren't going away. And all those issues are going to be big issues going forward, uh, yeah. both in politics and in corporate America. One of the things that concerns me, it came up, I don't think it's going to develop into anything in this instance, but uh, it's going to, it's not going to go away. Um, my governor, uh, Ron DeSantis, um, when the Twitter board announced that they were not initially, initially announced that they were going to exercise the poison pill and not accept Elon Musk bid, he suggested that Florida, and specifically the Florida State Pension Fund, um, would sue uh, that sue the board of directors for um, not for not exercising uh, what would be in the best interest of them as shareholders. But clearly, his interest there is political. His interest was that he does not like Silicon Valley companies, and he. He, he thinks that he takes Elon's side in some of these debates about free speech. And so it would be a political lawsuit if they fought, if they filed it. Unfortunately, that's not new. It's happened often that state officials um, have, uh, have a stake 
uh, in companies through pension funds through which they are trying to achieve political ends. So th this happened a few years ago with the state comptroller of New York, a uh, guy named Scott Stringer, who later ran for mayor. Um, and he was using his authority as the head of the New York State Pension Board um, to file these proxy ballot uh, initiatives at companies because they uh, were, were not attuned to global warming. They were, you know, exercising, they were, they were issuing car carbon uh, emissions um, or that their board wasn't sufficiently diverse or that they weren't giving, you know, uh, appropriate uh, benefits to LGBT employees. Basically using your authority, using your power as an investor and a government official to exercise, to get political ends through investment means. And I, I, I really find that uh, a troubling trend. And now, now that the left has been doing it for a few years, the right is absolutely going to pick it up. RJ Lehman, uh, great stuff. Really appreciate the insight. I got a feeling we're going to be talking about this in a couple of weeks. Um, I, <laughs> I have a sneaking suspicion that Maybe somebody that loves him should get Elon Musk to not tweet for a couple of weeks. I don't think he will because yeah. I think this thing is one tweet away from blowing up, but we'll see what happens. We'll see. Uh, well, appreciate your insight on this. We're going to have you back on to talk about this. We're going to put you in the regular rotation. You do good work, sir. Until <laughs> we get you back, though, let folks know where they can follow you, what you got going on, uh, what you do with that fancy EIC title that everybody covers, <laughs> but nobody actually wants to do the work once they get it, and your social media, sir. So the, the International Center for Law and Economics, you can find us at laweconcenter.org. We, uh, we work uh, in the law and economics tradition of legal jurisprudence uh, and, uh, and seek to uh, promote scholars who work in that tradition. Uh, a lot of our work is on antitrust and tech issues. So uh, Twitter uh, and, 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 and Twitter's moderation issues are all things that uh, we're already very engaged in. And if you come to our website, you can see some of the things we've written about it. Fantastic. And he's a good Twitter buddy, a august and respected member of the Twitter <laughs> Supper Club because they do good eating down there in Florida and wherever yeah. his travels take him. Thank you so much for your time, sir. We'll have you back soon and continue to talk about these issues. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Tell. He's one of our favorites. He's been on here multiple times before. I still have to practice saying his name, James Arnowski. We love him to death. He's great on stuff like tech, on regulations, on big tech, and why it is and is not scary stuff. James, how are you today, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I love having you back. Okay. Uh, almost all the tech stuff has been relegated to the back page because uh, this guy named Elon Musk, you might have heard of him, uh, is trying to take over Twitter. Um, give me the sales pitch on it before we get into this. Give me the good and the bad of it because you actually know the technical side of this stuff. You know the regulatory side of this stuff, the stuff that's going on in Congress. What Turn the noise down for me. Give me the good and the bad of this story. Let's assume if Elon Musk is able to take over Twitter. Sure. So Elon Musk officially put out a bid to buy Twitter for $43 billion dollars. Um, this was because he felt that Twitter was not a viable option to be profitable and do well 
uh, if he had just stayed at the position that he was at, where he could have had a seat on the board and tried to change the company that way. He felt like that there were too many big changes that were needed with the company. So he felt like the only way to really go and put Twitter at its best position was if he completely bought it out and took it private. Uh, so he put the offer at $54.20 a share. Uh, nice little subtle 420 reference because of typical Elon fashion. Uh, so that's that's more or less the, the broad strokes of what happened here. Uh, originally, the board did try to resist the buyout from, from Elon by putting a poison pill into effect. But once Elon Musk had announced that he had secured the funding, so basically being able to put the money where his mouth was, uh, it made it very difficult for the board to resist accepting the offer because I think the reality was that they couldn't really find anybody that could go and match or beat his offer to be their white knight uh, or to come up with some other strategy that could justify to shareholders why they would turn down an offer uh, that benefits the shareholders because of their fiduciary responsibilities. So Elon's going to go and take over Twitter, assuming you know you cross the T's and dot the I's and everything's fine from a regulatory perspective with the FTC reviewing the deal. Uh, and now really the question is, is what is Elon Musk's Twitter look like? And I think that while he has certainly offered some glimpses as to what he thinks uh, Elon Twitter would look like, uh, that's a lot different when you're an armchair CEO versus an actual CEO of a company. So I think that he's got a, a lot to figure out in this space. And it'll be interesting to see out of everything that he has pontificated on, what becomes a reality versus what becomes just, you know, wordplay. Yeah. And one of the reasons everybody wants to talk about the content side of this, and I get that because that's what we use. It's a user platform. Let's take a second, though, and talk about the business side of this real quick, though, because that's the part that actually really matters here. One of the reasons the board felt they had to take this offer is because this is an insane amount of money for the platform when you look at its actual value. Now, this is all stock. This is all projected. We understand how those things work. But the thing about Twitter is, unlike Facebook, unlike um, Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and other platforms like that, Twitter doesn't make a lot of money. And I know everybody's seen that $44 billion, but as a business, Twitter has not worked as a business for quite some time, at least in the realm you would think it would with the amount of outside influence it has. So when they started seeing those dollar signs, that's kind of what really pushed this forward as much as anything Musk was doing, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that that's one of the underappreciated factors of the story. And that's something that I certainly harped on in, in numerous media interviews that I've done on the subject is that Twitter was not, and you, you can only afford to be what you can afford to be, right? You, Twitter could not afford to be a company that was extolling the virtues that it was when the company did not have healthy profit margins. It was having inconsistent revenue. Uh, it was having a hard time monetizing the users that they had in the same way that we've seen other big tech, if you will, uh, platforms be able to do this. So, you know, it, it did make it very difficult for the board to justify to shareholders if they were going to reject Elon Musk how they were going to go and produce similar, if not more, value to the shareholders than that buyout offer from Elon Musk to go private. So I think that there's a lot of uh, factors that ultimately led to it, but certainly because of the fact that Twitter was probably one of the more unsuccessful companies in terms of its ability to become profitable and viable on its own, that led to the opportunity for the company to get bought out. Now, because you study this stuff and you cover it and you know a lot more about it than I do, explain this to me like I'm five. There's still a regulatory review process here. This is, I, I know they've agreed to it, but still on paper, this is a hostile takeover. That's a very highly regulated thing. There's a lot of rules involved on that. There has to be, you know, there's got to be third party financing that has to be verified by another third party. 
just real quick talk to people because I know everybody's acting like Elon's in charge already. He's not. This is going to take at least a couple months, probably at least into the winter to get all this done. Just talk about that process real quick because you do understand the regulatory side of these things when it comes to these big tech companies. Yeah. So I think that it's uh, I think that the hostile takeover portion actually got removed when Elon changed his offer uh, a little bit to account for some things. So I don't think it's technically considered a hostile takeover anymore. It's just a proper buyout. Uh, you know, offer that was accepted by the company. Uh, so I think that now basically the big hurdle that remains is for the FTC to decide whether or not they're going to uh, weigh in and try to block this merger from going through for some reason. But like you mentioned, yes, there has to be uh, verification of assets. There has to be, you know, proof that people have the money they say that they're going to have in terms of buying out the company. There's also how many shareholders are going to accept that buyout offer or try to retain their shares in the company when it goes private in Elon's fashion. So particularly with that example, there was a Saudi prince that had a pretty sizable stake in Twitter that rejected his 54.20 offer, thinking that there was more value to Twitter than that. Now, given where the current price of Twitter is on the stock market, it seems like shareholders disagree with the prince from Saudi, uh, unsurprisingly. So uh, what's happening now is that it actually saved uh, Elon Musk over a billion dollars not having to go and pay this guy out uh, up front, right? So there's a lot of moving parts, but basically, like you said, there has to be verification of the money. The FTC has to decide whether or not they're going to try to block this from happening on antitrust grounds, potentially, which the Open Markets Institute uh, sent a letter to Chairman Khan, uh, Chairwoman Khan, rather, to go and say that there is justification for preventing this merger underneath the guise of uh, old rules that govern this space. Uh, I'm not entirely sure whether that bid will be successful or whether or not Chairwoman Khan will actually step in to try to prevent this from occurring. But uh, assuming that all that goes through, like you said, it's not like Elon Musk is in charge of Twitter right this second. This is this is literally going to take multiple months for all of it to get ironed out if it's if it's successfully acquired, which is why whenever Elon's tweeting about what he would do in Elon Twitter, it's always if the sale is approved, right? Uh, so we have to get to that point and then we can go and talk about it. But the funny thing, like you mentioned, is that people are treating it like Elon is owning Twitter right now. The placebo effect of it has been quite humorous to look at because you have conservatives saying, oh, we got more followers. We got more reach. You have liberals claiming that there's, you know, more uh, hate speech and, and whatever. But the reality is that Twitter has been Twitter this whole time. And as a matter of fact, because of the fact that they're in this process of getting bought out, they can't really do anything to change the product drastically because of the fact that that could impact their sale. Yeah. And let's, we're going to, we're going to talk about that portion of it, how everybody's avatar Elon Musk all of a sudden, we'll get to that in a minute. Let, let's stick to the business side of this for just a second though, because um, I, let me be the skeptic for a minute, because I do this. I've been accused of being skeptical from time to time from by you and other folks. Uh, not too long ago, 2018, Musk got himself in trouble on Twitter because he talked about taking Tesla private and that cost him a nice $20 million fine. Tesla had to pay a $20 million fine. He had to step down as chairman of Tesla for at least five years. This is all the same people that are going to be doing some of the regulatory oversight of this deal. Normally in a deal, when you do this, everybody gets quiet until the deal's done. Now, I know Elon Musk is his own beast. I know he's a big celebrity. He's gone the other way. He's getting louder and louder and louder about all this. That's that's kind of a red flag to me of are we actually going to get there? Now, I know I'm in the minority opinion here, but just play along for a second. He does little things like the 420 stock price. He does little things like his latest tweet about they're going to have 69 million users. That's not accidental. Elon Musk does this stuff all the time. That's not an accidental number. 
Um, he gets louder and louder and louder about this. He's already gotten in trouble with his tweeting before. Am I wrong to have at least a little skepticism of, hey, this thing ain't done yet, and Elon Musk is pretty much a live wire that does what he wants and does not think things through like complicated business deals sometimes? No, I think it's perfectly healthy to have a decent bit of skepticism that the deal gets done uh, because it ain't over until everything's signed and approved by all the right parties. So I don't think that it's unreasonable to be skeptical especially with Elon's history with uh, tweeting. Now, he has been overly critical of the SEC's department, particularly that's located in San Francisco. They think that he's being targeted. And then with the DOJ and some other folks investigating Tesla more broadly, uh, there certainly is cause for him to believe that he is being targeted because of his heterodox thinking. That is just his opinion on the matter. But I think that, again, when we're looking at uh Elon and, and his different tweets, it presents a unique problem because normally, like you said, these deals go through, everybody stays quiet, they just want to get it done and over with. But Elon's, you know, putting his thoughts out there uh, very openly and it could cause different problems. But that being said, none of it technically violates the term sheet that they signed for him to purchase Twitter. He can talk about Twitter and like what he would like to do underneath Musk Twitter, but he can't go and sit there and talk about the deal uh, in any kind of um, you know negative light or anything like that, because then that would be violating the, the actual terms of the agreement that he signed uh, with Twitter, and he'd pay like a one billion dollar uh, breakup fee uh, for not doing the following through with this transaction. So there's plenty of incentive for Elon to watch what he's saying if he genuinely does want this to go through. Um, and also it is worth noting that it's not like he has to put up the $43 billion anymore because uh, originally it was just going to be him half all the way through trying to do it through Tesla stock. But now he has half of it done through banks and he has other people that are electing to go and stay as shareholders in the new Musk Twitter. So there's lots of ways in which that he's mitigated some other risk against himself. Yeah. Talking to our friend James Ranowski, uh, Young Voices contributor, really smart guy when it comes to this tech stuff. We're going to take a quick break. We come back on Herdtel. We're going to continue to talk about Elon Musk. We're going to talk about the free speech aspect of this. We're going to get into the content of Twitter, something James has done a lot. James has done a lot of media on both sides of the spectrum. I'm going to ask him about how some of the reaction has gone because he's got it from both ends uh, in a couple different places. More with our buddy James on Herdtel right after this. Now let me see you go off like a bomb. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Continuing with our friend James Arnowski, great guy, really smart guy on this stuff. Make sure you're following. You'll see his Twitter handle on the bottom third graphic right there. Good guy. Always enjoy talking to him. Okay, I want to ask you this before we get into the content stuff. Everybody's got an opinion on this. You've done both uh, progressive and liberal media outlets. You've done conservative outlets. You're a good guy to ask about this because I've caught your interviews from both sides of the aisle on this thing. What's your read on how much this thing has become an avatar for people? Because, man, people sure got convinced in a hurry that Elon Musk was this, that, or the other just based off of this. I find it fascinating, but you've been out there. You've been doing these interviews. What's your feel of that? Because this really does seem like it's become a funnel for some of the ongoing culture war stuff, hadn't it? 
Well, I mean, that's no lie that Elon decided to buy Twitter in part because of his feelings about the current state of culture in the United States surrounding free speech. Uh, Unironically, Elon Musk, like many uh, folks that we've heard in recent days, claims to be a uh, free speech absolutist, if you will. But then there's always some kind of uh, articulation as to not being free speech absolutist that I find that typically follows that. Um, when, When we're talking about, you know, how this has been politicized very uh, virulently by either side of the aisle, it's not surprising, Um, especially given Musk's rhetoric and how he operates to our point when we were going before the break, talking about Musk and his tweeting, getting in in trouble. Uh, You know, that has certainly inflamed those that are on the liberal and progressive side of the spectrum because they see a guy who is insensitive to potential, you know, speech that could be deemed uh, hurtful and harmful something that we might not find particularly nice to see on the internet, more broadly speaking. That being said, on the flip side of the aisle, conservatives see this as like, you know, a a good opportunity to try and rebalance the scales. Conservatives for the past several years have felt like big tech has been targeting them, right or wrong, that's how they feel. And they think that Elon Musk and his version of Twitter, which is supposed to be more free speech friendly, is a, is a potential solution that might offer more avenues for free speech uh, for conservatives on this subject matter altogether. So I think the reality is, is that both sides are probably overreacting to the news of Elon Musk buying Twitter. I don't think that Twitter is going to be radically shifted in a direction that either side of the aisle is going to particularly like. Um, you know, so I think that there's going to be some form of medium where some things on the margin are going to change. Uh, and we'll have to see how other things go in practice, because, again, he's been very uh, you know, opinionated about stating that he does not want to go and permanently ban people. So this is a reference to Donald Trump. He has already announced that if he gets the sale approved, that he's going to go and uh, restore Donald Trump's account to Twitter. Whether or not Donald Trump chooses to use that remains to be seen. He has Truth Social that he's using uh, a little bit more now. So we'll have to just continue to monitor that. But I think that it's more about just seeing how the things lay out because it's one thing to be able to say all this stuff right now where none of the responsibility or accountability is on you right this second it's another thing to go and do it once you're actually in control and you are actually responsible for making this company that has been struggling profitable that's the number one concern i think that has to be there for musk is how to make twitter profitable for him because that $43 billion represents 20% of Elon's wealth as an individual. So it's not an unsizable investment for him. Yeah. And the Tesla folks are pretty openly nervous about this thing. If you get below the headlines and start reading into the stockholder stuff, but I'm talking about the real money people, not the fans. They, they've got questions about this because this is a big chunk of money going uh, in a different direction. Let me just put it to you directly then. I keep getting told on my social media that Elon Musk is a quote unquote free speech absolutist. Is there evidence of that, though? Because I've seen some troubling things out of Elon Musk when it comes to things like free speech. And I'm not saying that he's not against it in principle, but in actions and practicalities, there's been a few things over the years that I've kind of went, I'm not sure about that guy. Is his actions matching the rhetoric that people are putting on him that he's going to be this great champion of freedom of speech? Yeah, I think that that's the interesting thing. Uh, Like I said, a lot of folks like to claim that they are free speech absolutists, and then there's usually always a caveat that follows that up. So Elon Musk claims to be a free speech absolutist, but he has had incidents over the years where, uh, for example, I know that there was an employee of Tesla that was going and showing the auto uh, drive functions 
uh, of his Tesla vehicles, got into an accident and was criticizing the company uh, for that. And that employee got fired. He tried going and gagging it. There was a Twitter account that was uh, actively tracking all the flights that Elon Musk was doing to see where he was at. Elon Musk tried gagging that too by buying the person out and then trying to sue to get the account taken down uh, because he thought that it was a violation of his privacy. So there's there's lots of ways in which Elon Musk's adherence to free speech principles doesn't necessarily uh, you know line up with what the actual ideal is supposed to be. But to be honest, that's that's any human. Like I, I find it hard to believe that you'll find a true free speech absolutist anywhere. I think that there's always the caveat of people saying free speech. Uh, and being pro-free speech is usually I like, you know, things that I like and not things that I don't like. Uh, they want to see less of those kinds of things. Uh, President Barack Obama did a talk at Stanford where he also invoked being a free speech uh, absolutist and then went on to go and talk about misinformation and disinformation and why he, you know, we need to go and crack down on that. So even though misinformation is still protected speech. So there's there's lots of ways in which I think people uh, like to go and invoke that language because there is a certain tenor about it that is, uh, I think, reminiscent of patriotism and, and the history of America and our founding principles, obviously. But in terms of people ever living up to it wholeheartedly, no one's ever going to do that. So it's not surprising to me that Elon Musk is not like this, you know, free speech absolutist in practice that he likes to claim that he is. Yeah, um, I, there's a couple of reporters that would uh, disagree with President Obama, but let's not rehash all that today. Mm -hmm. um, I think Elon is giving us that very caveat going through his tweets. Um, he recently on uh, May the 9th, which was just a couple of days ago as we sit and record this, he got into a conversation with Sir Novik of all people, which somebody who loves him needs to get a hold of him and be like, quit tweeting with certain people. And that's one of them. But that's neither here nor there. And talking about left wing bias. And he straight up says that Twitter obviously has a left wing bias. But then he tweeted this. I'm going to quote it because I found it very interesting and it peaked my ears up. He said, like I said, my preference is to hew close to the laws of countries in which Twitter operates. If the citizens want something banned and pass a law to do so, otherwise it should be allowed. And the reason that caught my attention is on the surface, that's pretty standard tech bro speech for, you know, especially with the EU and some of the restrictions over there. Elon Musk has a lot of money riding on China. China, if you're going to apply that to China, that means you're going to follow their rules, which are very restrictive. I don't see him criticizing China the way he's criticizing America and the situation in Ukraine and the EU, which he has had a long running battle with on a couple different levels. That shows up as a red flag to me. How does it feel to you? Yeah, I, I, you're not the first person to obviously point out the China ties. I think that uh, there's they, like with any of the American companies that have operations and interests tied with China, that it's not surprising that perhaps you take a little bit more cautious of a tone uh, when even thinking about entering the realm of, of the Asia markets. Uh, so it's not surprising that, uh, you know, maybe he's a little bit more careful since a lot of the, uh, I believe it's his batteries for the Teslas that get produced over there in China. Um, so there's definitely, I think, a valid concern there to, you know, vet out. We'll have to see how that is. But even within that statement, right, like it actually goes in, then goes when cuts against his exact point of being a free speech absolutist insofar as that if you're talking about this in the American context, uh, you know, one would think that you'd want to apply this across the board no matter where you operate, but then you're acquiescing to the localities, which there are a lot of localities that have a lot more restrictive speech laws on the books than, you know, might be ideal by American values. Um, so I think that that's actually something that's a little self-defeating. So the EU commissioner uh, was actually just at his Tesla plant in Austin, Texas, 
and then posted a video with him uh, and then tried to basically insinuate that Elon more or less endorsed the DSA, the Digital Services Act, uh, European tech regulation of social media um, and the Internet, more broadly speaking. And I think that that's actually a horrible thing uh, that the EU commissioner did that only because Elon doesn't own Twitter yet. And he Elon is not a politician. The man does not think about any of that kind of stuff. And I think like if we said, hey, we want to go and crack down on, uh, you know, uh, hateful speech or like whatever, there's certain broad stroke things that I think people can broadly agree to. But then like anything else, the devil's in the details. Um, so that's that that kind of stuff, I think, is definitely worth having a closer examination at. And it was just completely inappropriate, in my view, at least for the EU commissioner to go and leverage Elon in that kind of a position, because what's he going to say, like, especially because he has those vested interests in Europe. Um, I think that at the end of the day, there's there's a lot of balancing parts that have to get you know taken into account. And we'll have to see, because, again, this is going to be the actual test is how how is this actually going to be applied in practice? across markets that have different kinds of speech rules. Yeah, is uh, the commissioner's name, Theory Brenton. And Elon actually tweeted the video, retweeted the video that that man put out and then said, great meeting, we were on the exact same page underneath it. Uh, we're going to have to keep a close eye on that one going forward. All right, since you brought it up, uh, let me just go there with it. We just talked to our friends in the UK about this a couple of days ago. Let's take something like the UK where like, you know, whenever I do an interview, the FCC, because this goes out on radio, I have to tell my guests, hey, we got to be FCC compliant. Don't curse on the air if you can help it. Right. Well, if you go over to the UK, you can curse on the air, but you don't have the libel law protections in the UK that I have on this program where I can say things about certain people and I have legal protection. How's stuff like that's going to play with something like Twitter, where we've seen things like in the UK, where the tabloids and others have wound up in court over uh, libel laws, slander laws over what we call pretty run of the mill uh, statements. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, again, this is where people don't realize just how permissive our, our speech is on Twitter and Facebook and a lot of these platforms. You can complain about their decisions that they make. And there certainly is some, you know, uh, veracity to wanting to complain about how they are making some decisions sometimes. But I think that at the end of the day, we are still far more permissive on our platforms in the United States than anywhere else in the world, bar none. No one comes even remotely close. So with the UK, they have an online harms bill right now, which includes trying to tackle things. It tries categorizing the risk. It tries sitting there and saying, oh, like suicide and misinformation and all this other kind of material that's out there and trying to regulate that speech, which again, if it was in the United States, would get struck down by a court as being unconstitutional for trying to infringe upon the free speech rights that Americans hold dear, um, which include topics that we do find uncomfortable at the end of the day. But the UK is trying to legislate this. I know like in part of their report for trying to justify why they want to do this, they cite the fact that children are exposed to uh, rap music online and, and uh, you know, cursing that might happen there to our point about our FCC compliance versus non-FCC compliance. Um, I think that it's, it's very fascinating to see, um, you know, the UK and other worlds, I think, just do a great job of highlighting just how special the United States is. Uh, we, we have a very permissive culture for speech, although that is culturally, at least, getting hit down a little bit with the way that uh, some folks handle speech, particularly with like weaponizing the notion of misinformation and other things. So I think that we can certainly be better about that conversation. Uh, and it'll be interesting to continue to monitor that going forward. Yeah, James Zarnowski, uh, you are always on point with your stuff. You get better every time I talk to you, my friend. I really appreciate your insight on these things. 
definitely will have you back. It's been too long since we've had you on, but you're a busy man. It's hard to get you on the show nowadays. Um, until we get you back on again, though, let folks know where they can follow you on your social media, your writing. You're doing a ton of media stuff. So let them know where they can keep up with you, see all your clips and your great writing. And some of the, because you've got a lot of regulatory things you're keeping your eye on. Let folks know what you're doing with that as well, my friend. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at jamescz19. That's where I usually pontificate and throw a lot of my bad takes out there uh, <laughs> on tech policy and all other musings that's going on, like my haircut that was overdue by five months. But you've got uh, Twitter is probably the best place to follow me. I have my own personal website at jamesstramowski.com, uh, where I try to go and update from time to time with any writing and media hits that I do do. Uh, and also, I always recommend following Young Voices uh, as an organization on Twitter uh, and on their website. They also update whenever I do media hits with great people like yourself and others. Yeah, we're really proud of Young Voices. That's where we um, we had James on back before I was officially part of Young Voices, actually. Uh, they do great work, just celebrated their anniversary. And uh, the haircut looks great. I was giving you a little hard time, but to be honest, I got to go get one today, too, because I got a kid graduating high school this weekend, so I got to go slick up, too. So, uh, my friend, I always appreciate the time. Always enjoy talking to you. Let's do it again soon, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.